Welcome to the Ashley T. Lee Podcast. And here is Ashley. Thanks for joining me. Today we'll start the book of Luke, where John the Baptist is introduced and the birth of Jesus is announced. You see, John the Baptist fulfilled Old Testament prophecy, and he was part of the story of the birth of Christ. Why? Because John came to pave the way for Jesus to come into the world to deliver salvation and free us from slavery to sin and death. Here are the Old Testament prophecies announcing John the Baptist. First in Isaiah 43-5, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When John grew older, God called him out in the wilderness to announce the birth of Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. Then Malachi covers this prophecy of John in Malachi 3 and 4, saying, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Then Malachi adds, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. It's amazing how God foretells the future. We all want to know our future, and we can look to God to know the future so that we can feel safe and secure walking with Christ. I feel sorry for those who look to the world for their future, because the world doesn't know. The Star Scrolls won't tell the future. The psychics use the power of Satan to tell it, and it's a lie. And the tarot cards try to tell it, and so on and so on. Some people are tricked by psychics and these methods because they seem to know things about our lives. But just like false teachers who really know the Bible but tell 10 to 20 percent wrong, these false means of knowing the future tell a false future. They seem legitimate, but they're not. That's why we must look to the Bible for our future. Yet that's difficult because it takes time and effort to study the Bible long enough to know what it says about our future. So now let's keep looking into this word of life, the Bible, to see what it says about John and Jesus, the pivotal men who announced repentance and salvation, and Christ granting us eternal life. 1. Background on Luke Luke was not an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry, so how in the world did he write one of the four Gospels? Our answer is in Luke 1, 1-4, which says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So we see right away that many tried to write about the life and ministry of Jesus, the Messiah. But they didn't have the perfect understanding of all things from the very first like Luke had. Yet Luke wasn't an eyewitness. But you can be assured that Luke interviewed and conversed with any and everyone who was there with Christ. The people Luke interviewed had memorized every word of Jesus. How? They had seen and heard him speak while performing miracles 
and they memorized Jesus' stories of wisdom, love, and power. Then on top of that, Luke studied the Gospel of Mark, which had already been written. So the result is that half of the book of Luke includes the Gospel of Mark. But Luke was meticulous to put the details in order. So let's imagine for a minute who Luke interviewed. Well, most likely Mary, Jesus' mother. Then the brothers of Jesus, who at his resurrection now believed in him. Next was Philip, the evangelist, since he included his account of converting the Ethiopian. And also Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who was raised by Jesus, and many more. Since Luke was a companion of Paul, everyone was open to the words of Luke. Also, Luke had another advantage that qualified him to write one of the four Gospels. He had divine, firsthand revelation from the Holy Spirit, since he says that he had a perfect understanding from the very first. That Greek word translated from above indicates that the Holy Spirit from above taught Luke. And he taught Luke to put a system of writing together where he put everything in order as a chronological sequence. Luke was meticulous like a doctor should be in handling the facts as they were all gathered. You know, I can relate to Luke because every week I gather all the facts uncovered as I pray for guidance from God. It's really fun to see the patterns that God gives me as I write. This is truly from him because growing up, I was a terrible reader and even worse of a writer. Only God could send his spirit to indwell and teach us to do special tasks to encourage and grow other followers. God's the one with the understanding and power. So we must stay attached to the vine so our branches can produce pleasing words to elevate the Lord. And what about Theophilus? Well, we know that he was a high-ranking Roman official, but his name means beloved of God. It seems that Theophilus was a new convert to Christianity, but we have no idea why Luke dedicated two books to him, Luke and Acts. You know, I am so grateful that God picked a person meticulous like Luke to write these two books because they fill in all the gaps that we miss in the other three Gospels. Luke gives so much extra detail about John the Baptist, the birth of Christ, the genealogy of the line of Christ, and the prayer song of Mary, encounters with her cousin Elizabeth, and more. Whoever Theophilus was, I'm thankful that Luke wanted to write him, and now we get to read what he wrote. Since Paul was Luke's mentor, we can certainly guess that he might have written this while Paul was locked up in prison, because all the other times he was traveling with him. In fact, many of Luke's thoughts and writings reflect Paul's thoughts and writings. Thoughts like faith, repentance, mercy, and forgiveness. We can just imagine all of the travels of Luke and Paul, and how they must have compared all the organized notes while they hung together. Early Christian writers like Tertullian, Origen, Jerome, and Irenaeus all linked the Gospel of Luke to Luke as its writer, but they also noted Paul's influence. Praise God that he raised up meticulous Luke to write this powerful work written to Gentiles. 2. Zacharias hears his son's birth announced. The first work that Luke wrote about was the long-awaited birth of John the Baptist. He was foretold in Isaiah and Malachi like the introduction talked about. But we need to imagine all of the Jews at that time who had read about John, the one in the wilderness who ate locusts and honey, had disheveled hair and appearance, and the one who just didn't care what people thought but announced the Messiah was on the way. 
Here's what Luke 1, 5 says about the announcement of the birth of John. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Let me stop to make a note about this angel appearing in the temple. Do you realize that this was the first word from God in 400 years? Remember in Malachi how he kept warning the Israelites, if you don't repent, God will not speak to you for 400 years? Well, this ends that 400 years. Luke continues, And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless." So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Zacharias was a priest descended from Abijah and Elizabeth from Aaron. Luke says they were both righteous before God. Some might wonder why Elizabeth was childless, since having no children was such a curse. I mean, they were righteous, but God works in mysterious ways to teach believers how to stay humble. Zacharias resisted with unbelief at first, but after nine months of not being able to speak, the humility and submission for God sunk in. So here we have Zacharias burning incense in the temple, most likely frankincense, and the angel appeared to him. How would you feel if you saw an angel shining brightly? It would be shocking, to say the least. But then, once he heard that his wife, who was beyond childbearing years, was going to have a baby, unbelief set in. I mean, they were older, most likely in their 80s, and she had been barren the entire time. 
So Zacharias heard that he would name this son John and that he would have joy and gladness and he would rejoice at John's birth. Well, of course, he would be joyful to see his newborn son. And he would also be grateful because his tongue will be loosed and he can speak again. That's joy for sure. But think for a minute what Elizabeth and Zechariah had been through in their barren years. They prayed year after year and longed for a son, but God didn't grant their request. So why now? I mean, the Bible says they were well advanced in years. For Jewish people in the Bible, there are terms that designate age. The commencement of old was 65. The hardy-headed age was 70, and well advanced in years was 80-plus. So all they had after all those years of praying for a child was hope that maybe they'd be like Abraham and Sarah, knowing that God blessed them with a son in their 90s. But Zacharias never expected to see an angel on his first time doing a sacrifice in the temple. You see, there was an order of the priestly tribes, and they would cast lots to see whose turn it would be in the tribe of Abijah. Zacharias served for the first time and most likely the last time. So who would guess that at this appointed time in the temple, Zacharias would see and hear an actual angel? And seriously, it would be impossible to believe at age 80 you'd have a baby. So Zacharias was plagued with silence due to his unbelief. You know, we could give Zacharias a bad rap for his unbelief. But seriously, would any of us be different? And think of his years of praying with no answer. Have you ever prayed for something year after year? that seemed like it would never happen? Did it happen? And if it did, what did it do for your faith? Sometimes our faith grows even more when we have to wait. Yes, we may flail and falter while we're trying to wait, but once the answer comes, we trust God more. Why? Because we can see the amazing and perfect timing of God. I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me, and each time I learn to trust God more. You know, that's what matters most to God, our trust. Because if you think about it, we ask for forgiveness of our sins, and then we trust in the work of Jesus dying on the cross for us. And then our dedication to do his will is stronger. Interesting, when Zacharias came out of the temple, he was supposed to continue his sacrificial duties, but he was unable to continue since he was mute. In number 6, 24 through 26, it tells about the priestly benediction and certain psalms to be sung when people were gathered outside the temple. But none of that happened. Instead, silent Zacharias made hand signals to indicate that he couldn't speak. But guess what? When John was circumcised, Zacharias finished his speech when his tongue was loosed. He said in Luke 168, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. 
Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness, to guide our feet in the way of peace. How amazing was that speech! 2. Gabriel visits Mary to announce the birth of Jesus. So Gabriel was busy giving an announcement to Zacharias, and then, six months later, he went to see Mary to announce the birth of Christ. Luke 1.26 continues, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what matter of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what was the difference between Zacharias's reaction and Mary's reaction to the herald angel? Zacharias had questions, but they were rooted in unbelief. On the other hand, Mary had a question, but her question was rooted in faith, and she totally accepted the prophecy. She did have one problem, though. How could she have a baby since she'd never been with a man? But then the answer made sense because of Isaiah's prophecy that she knew and understood. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. At that realization, anyone would be ecstatic that Gabriel announced a child would be born of you. But then there was the how. How could she have a baby? Well, the answer was that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Who could argue with that? Think for a minute if you were Mary. Would you be satisfied with that answer? Maybe, but a little proof would most certainly help, right? Well, Gabriel was gracious to provide proof for Mary. He told her that her well-aged cousin, Elizabeth, was six months pregnant. Wow, that in itself was a huge miracle because Elizabeth was in her 80s. Unreal. If God could make a dead, barren, old-age womb come to life, he certainly could make a young virgin's womb come to life. Then there was the power of God. Gabriel knew it, and he had to speak it to Mary, saying, For with God, nothing will be impossible. There she had it. Nothing is impossible with God. Have you ever pondered on that thought? Maybe when you had an impossible decision to make or something impossible came up in your life and you panicked? 
Yes, God can handle all situations and circumstances. But are you willing to wait on Him? That's usually our human problem. We're not willing to wait on God's decision, so we circumvent and make up our own outcome. Does it backfire on us? Yes, and then we realize we should have waited on God. Fortunately, Mary waited. She presented her body as a living sacrifice to God. Romans 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mary did this perfect will of God. She paved the way for our Lord and Savior to be born so that he could perform his ministry and die for the sin of the world. And we know that Mary must have memorized all the scriptures by heart. All the Jewish people had memorized and learned most of the Old Testament, so these words prophesied in Romans rang true in her mind. So now it was time for Mary to go visit Elizabeth to witness this proof firsthand. 3. Mary Visits Elizabeth Next, Mary went to stay with her cousin, Elizabeth. This was helpful since a young girl wouldn't know what to do to prepare for having a baby. Elizabeth had lived a long life and certainly had many friends with children, including her relative who birthed Mary. Here's what Luke 1 says about the encounter with Mary and Elizabeth. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Remember how Luke said that John the Baptist would be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus was most certainly filled with the Holy Spirit, so these two connected in their wombs, and it caused John to leap in Elizabeth's womb. That was an immediate sign to Mary. Gabriel promised a lot to Mary, and it was delivered through the experience with Elizabeth. Then Mary would be inspired by Elizabeth calling her blessed, saying, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. You see, Mary was so blessed by God at this point that she could deal with all the obstacles that would show their head during the nine-month journey. I mean, peek ahead for a minute. Joseph would be alarmed and upset that she was with child. They would have to journey on a donkey to Bethlehem while she was about to give birth. And then they would be shut out of the inn to birth Jesus in lowly circumstances. Mary needed encouragement, and she got it. She was so encouraged that she sang a song to God that said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. First of all, notice how Mary said that she was in need of a Savior. Well, if she was immaculate like some religions say, then she would have no need for a Savior. But she did. Yes, she was a descendant of David, but she was very poor and had sin just like us. So generations will call Mary blessed, but not because she was sinless or good at all, but because of God who did a miracle in her to produce the Messiah. She noticed God's mercy in her song and knew that he scatters the proud but exalts the lowly. Mary also recognized God's desire to help Israel. Yes, it was clear that Mary knew the scriptures, not the thousands of traditions passed down by the scribes and rabbis, but the true scripture of God, the one that Jesus would preach. After that beautiful song, Mary remained with Elizabeth for three months. Then it was time for Elizabeth to give birth. Think about it. Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary arrived, and three months later, her nine months was up. Then on the eighth day after John was born, it was time for circumcision. All the relatives were gathered, and they were told he will not be called Zacharias, but John. Then the mouth of Zacharias was loosed, and he prophesied all that we talked about earlier. A few points to note were how Zacharias cradled John, saying, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. John would also be the prophet heralding the Messiah, like Isaiah 40 talked about. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. There were a lot of crooked places to straighten out. Romans ruled with an iron fist, and the Jewish leaders were teaching false doctrine instead of the true word. John will surely have his work cut out for him once he's grown. Luke ends saying of John, So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Think about it. What a beautiful plan God came up with, having John the Baptist pave the way for the Messiah. And what a plan to be born and come to earth as a man, Jesus. God decided to visit his creation, coming onto the scene of life to grace us with eternal life and not death. You see, God had to remove the sin of the world by becoming our sin himself. God's love was shown through his grace. Ephesians 2 puts words to describe this miracle, saying, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What a gracious and wonderful God we serve. Mary knew it, Elizabeth knew it, Zacharias knew it, and John knew it as he wandered in the desert while God prepared him to pave the way for the Savior of the world. 
Luke was an eloquent writer, as we can see, and we'll see as we continue next week. See you then. Thank you for joining us for the Ashley T. Lee Podcast. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions. And to find out more about Ashley, go to ashleytlee.com. If you would like to help or contribute to Ashley T. Lee Ministries, click on contact at ashleyt.